Good morning, church. It's good to be with you today. I want to welcome everyone that's watching online as well as everyone that's here in the house. My name is Ben Seaman. Uh, I serve on staff as our, our lead minister. If you're new around here, we just kicked off a brand new four-week teaching series on the book of Colossians called This Mystery. Uh, and the reason why we're calling it is because we're just really stealing from Paul. Uh, Paul is addressing this heresy that these early Christians in Colossae uh, are believing that there's something else greater than Jesus that you need to worship. You can have your Jesus, but you can sprinkle in a little cult worship, angel worship, some, you know, for extra spice, some Roman paganism, and everything will be okay. And, and I see that happening a lot today in our culture, and I thought the book of Colossians would be really relevant for us today. Uh, last week, we said uh, our big idea is um, what you need is not more of what you don't have, right? Other religions. What you need is more of what you already have, which is the gospel. And Paul, throughout the book of Colossians, I really want to encourage you to read it. Um, it's only four chapters, right? I really want to encourage you to read it. And what Paul, one of the th- other themes is the sufficiency of Christ and the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is all you need, all you will ever need, and he is, he is enough for us. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go with me to Colossians 2. If you have a smartphone, uh, go to your Bible app or download the Bible app if you don't have it. We'll be in Colossians 2 today. And Paul is going to uh, take us back to when we uh, began our faith journey to, again, reinforce throughout your faith development, it's Jesus plus nothing else. And, and life is about growing up, right? Life is full of different milestones. I asked our uh, staff and elder team, oh, this is going to be awesome, if they'd be willing to share their baby photos uh, to see if you could guess which person, uh, who, who is which person. Now, I know, this, I know this assumes that you guys know them, but even if it doesn't, it's still going to be fun anyways, okay? So here's baby photo number one. She's a, she's a staff member. Anybody, anybody want to take a guess? You can talk amongst yourselves. It's okay to talk in church. This is Wendy Borges, our connections director. Yeah, here's the next photo. Uh, this, this guy is one of our elders. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Don Bowers. Uh, the next photo, a surprise that they had photography back in his day. Uh, this is another elder, Jim Cherisi. Uh, our next photo is a staff member. Anybody want to guess who this is? It's the only redhead in the building, right? Aaron McWhorter, our new uh, creative arts director. Our next photo is little Andrew Frost, our family minister. Our next photo, Jenny Lacasse, our kids director, and obviously the best for last and the cutest, yours truly. Apparently, I really enjoy that robe uh, that Christmas. I don't know why, but I look happy, and I'm sure I enjoyed it. Um, Life is about growing up. Life is milestones, whether it's birth, whether it's uh, getting your license, starting high school, applying for colleges, getting married, figuring out retirement. Life is full of milestones. Uh, in, our, in our world, our vernacular, we would say that um, we, we want to we grow up so that we can move out. And part of the the downside of being a good parent is that your child can be autonomous. And it's bad because in some respects, you want them to stay home forever, right? But good parenting means that you produce autonomous children. Now, here's what Paul is going to be addressing. The point of the gospel is not that you grow up and move away from it and start dabbling in Roman paganism or angel 
worship or occult worship, or we might say a little bit of Jesus and a spiritual guru podcast, a little bit of Mormonism, a little bit of agnosticism over here. What, what Paul is saying is we don't grow up to move away from Jesus. We grow up so that we can move deeper into him, right? Because when we do that, what we're saying is the gospel is sufficient, Right? We don't need we don't need to memorize John three sixteen for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, who believes in Him should have everlasting life, and then just go cool. I got the basics. I'm done. No, you have to go deeper down into the cross. And so, a question I want you to be asking is: Am I growing in Christ? In other words, I think that at the end of every year, you should be able to look back and 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 know uh, if you grew in Christ. Is your affection for Christ growing? Uh, are, is your affection for other people growing? Uh, who who in your life is allowed to call you out uh, because they have your best interest at heart? Right. Sometimes it's hard to ask that question because that can be so subjective. But I think there's actual objective ways that we can measure if we're growing in Christ. I think some of the reasons why we stop growing is that we really, we really don't, we don't want to wait. We're an instant gratification kind of culture. Uh, I read about a Russian comedian named Yukovov Smirnov, and he uh, was giving a, a set in the States, and he was talking about the first time he went to a U.S. grocery store. This is awesome. He said, I'll never, I'll never forget walking down one of the aisles and seeing powdered milk. You just add water and you get milk. Then right next to it, powdered orange juice. Just add water and you get OJ. Then I saw baby powder, and I thought, what a country, Right? Like, we don't, I, good, I hope that was, that was funny, because I, I laughed when I read it, all right? But if it's not funny, it's not my joke, so I don't care. Uh, we, we are an instant gratification culture, and some of us, we don't, me included, we don't like waiting, we don't like to rest, we hate verses where God tells Moses, you only need to be still, and I will fight for you. Well, that's not very active, right? Um, secondly, I think that we probably often don't see the need. Maybe there's a lot of other obligations that are in front of us, right? School, putting clothes on our kids' backs, feeding them, keeping them alive, right? So the government doesn't knock on our door. Um, you know, there's so many things in front of us that I think um, really capture our affection and our attention. And maybe we say, I'll read Colossians someday, right? I'll join a life group someday. I'll, I'll take a mission trip someday, Church, here's a big idea I want, I want to explore today in Colossians 2. Everything we need has already been given to us for full life in Christ. So week one, Jesus is the, um, Jesus is the fullness of God. Jesus has the stuff of God inside of him, quantitatively and qualitatively. Now, Paul is going to talk about that same sufficiency is what you need to grow up and to go deeper into the gospel. So let's explore together Colossians 2, verses, uh, we'll begin in verse 6 through 8. This is what Paul says to the church in Colossae, or Colossae, depending on how you want to pronounce it. So then, just as you have received Christ, right? So you're already Christian. That's a passive verb, right? Just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue. Now, here's a present action. And this is the first time in Colossians where Paul gives a directive. He gives an imperative. Continue to live your life uh, continue to live your life in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Verse 8, see to it 
that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and, element, and, and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So what Paul is telling the Christians is so relevant even for us today. After you become a Christ follower, continue in your faith. Seems simplistic until you have a group of Christians like not doing it. When you read uh, present action verbs, I didn't care about English until I went to Bible college. I didn't think it was worth my time, but it's very important. When you read a present verb in the scriptures, and particularly the New Testament, what it means is that it is an ongoing, continual action, right? So as you are living, Paul, in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul uses languages like, as you are walking, every single day, right, you, you, are, you are going to be, you need to be rooted in the gospel, built up in the gospel, and be strengthened by the gospel, which will um, in, in turn uh, produce a thankful heart within your spirit. N.T. Wright once said this, being a Christian is like riding a bicycle. Unless you go forward, you're going to fall off. Paul is spurring and encouraging the church to keep going forward in the same direction of following Jesus. You don't need to flirt with the spiritual guru. You don't need to get involved in Mormonism or being a Jehovah Witness or any other American cult that we currently have today. Just follow Jesus. Keep it simple, church. And it's so hard to keep things simple. Uh, because there's so many things screaming for our attention. Yet I want to remind our church today that everything has already been given to us for full life in Christ. Three metaphors Paul gives us. Number one, he says, we've been planted like a strong tree. You're a strong tree, baby. In Psalm chapter one, David says this, blessed is the one who does not, notice the progression, does not walk in step with the wicked, and every time there's a, an action, there's, there's a sense of this person is going, maybe I should hang out with this group. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on the law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Uh, there's a photo I want to show you of the angel oak tree. Uh, a student of mine in Ohio uh, was getting married. He was living in Savannah, Georgia at the time, and he asked me to do a wedding. And I really love this kid because it was in Savannah in the middle of the summer, holy humidity. I grew up in the Midwest, but I have never seen anything in my life. And the reception was outside too. Good Lord. Follow Jesus, because if hell is anything like that, I do not want to. I do not want to go there. Uh, when I think about being a strong tree, or um, the Bible talks about um, being a strong oak tree, I think about this tree. And trees are important in the New Testament. In particular, when um, you would uh, dominate another city or town or village, one of the first things that you would do is you would cut down all of the trees. Now, why? Why is that important? Why should you care? Because trees provide, I mean, it's the Middle East, protection, shade, right? Comfort and that it gives you time to have some water or have a meal. This was a place of protection, source, and encouragement, and it gave, uh, it gave those folks shade. 
Now, one of, one of the um, images that uh, we don't really talk about, I don't think, of the church is that the church is like a strong oak tree. Think about this, all right? Go with me there for, for a second. What would it look like if we continually, every day, as the text reads, rooted ourselves in the Gospels, gave ourselves some really, really strong roots, so that every person at RCC, online and in person went out in their community, in their circle of life, as a strong oak tree that the scriptures tell us. And and what do you do with that? You provide protection for people. You provide shade for people. You give people a place to ask their questions and doubt God and and have conversations with them. Does this make sense? A tree in the first century was a picture of vibrancy. And so when Paul says, you've been rooted in the gospel— What he's saying is you are a representative of what the gospel has done for you in and through your community. Unfortunately, I think a lot of times, especially on social media, we're not strong oak trees. We're the guys and gals that take the ax and cut people down. That's not what Paul is saying. We don't do that as Christ followers. We provide a resource for other people. And here's the deal. If you, at the end of your life, or at the end of your life, wow, that was dramatic, at the end of this year, which hopefully isn't the end of your life, at the end of this year, when you look back, you can objectively uh, give yourself that answer. Have I been a resource for people in my life? Have I been a source of protection and comfort and shade? Do people come to me in their time of need? That's a really, really good question to ask. Because if the answer is no, you probably don't have as much influence as you think you do. Paul is telling us, church, because we need to be planted in the gospel, everything we need has already been given to us for full life in Christ. The second metaphor is that we are being built up like strong towers. And I think sometimes we think that uh, our inner life is more like this photo. It's like a, it's like a shack, right? Uh, and we don't, we don't think we're growing or we're, we have self-deprecation or I can't lead this life group or I really can't invite that friend from my work to, to RCC because of whatever they're going to say. But here's the image that Paul wants us to have. We're a strong tower, right? Like the John Hancock building. We're a strong tower. We are a resource for people. Let me tell you something. There's nothing more encouraging in the office when you have a strong Jesus follower who's not arrogant, knows who they are, their identity is who, in the, who is in who they are, not in their job performance, which is really hard to, I think, separate a, a lot of the times, and is a resource for people that people go to them. This is what Paul says, you, you are already this, church. Paul is reminding of what they already are. Right? It's the same conversation that, you know, when you don't see something in yourself, you probably had a parent or a friend or a neighbor or a coach or a teacher that says, this is what I see in you. I'm not asking you to believe it, but I am asking you to develop it and trust me in it. It's exactly what Paul is doing. He's telling us again, we have everything that we need. Uh, everything that we need has been given to us for full life of Christ. That fullness is the same word that Paul uses in chapter 1. And he says, when these things happen, thirdly, we are going to be overflowing with thankfulness. Wow, that kind of like makes sense, right? Because I know a lot of Christians, I don't know many that are completely 
like completely at peace. And this imagery of overflowing with thankfulness is the imagery of too much wine at weddings and, and really good food and music and dancing. There's a sense of like, all is well with my soul. All is well with my life. And I am thankful that I am rooted in the gospel. I am being built up and strengthened in the gospel. And because of that, I am overflowing with thankfulness. Not happiness or sappy little cheesy one-line Christian words or phrases, but I have joy deep down in my bones because of the gospel. This is why, church, we don't grow up in our faith to move away from Jesus. We grow up so we can go deeper into it. And let me tell you something. The more we do this, the more we're going to be able to withstand whatever happens in our lives. Now, this is not, you know, pain proof or foolproof, right? My goodness, we're celebrating this week in the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Suffering will still happen. It is going to happen. But what kind of person do you want to be in the midst of that? Do you want to be a shack? Do you want to be a strong tower? Do you want to be rooted in whatever you read on social media or whatever quick thing you can grab through other resources? Or do you want to be rooted in the gospel? Paul then creates some tension here for us, church, in verse 8. This is what he says. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition. Uh, and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Man, this is some really strong, uh, scary language that Paul is using. When he says, see to it, be on guard, look out, that, uh, see to it that no one takes you captive, the idea of captive is sort of like um, when you watch National Geographic and they're in Africa on safari and you see a lion, right, grab his prey by its neck and sort of drags it away. That's, that's the imagery that Paul wants you to have in the original language. And here's what's so heartbreaking when people are captive by other religions or other ideas or other cults is that Americans value intellectualism so much <laughs> that seduction is more about a heart thing than a cognitive thing. And the way in which Paul writes this verse, it's after somebody has already been captured or the lion already has you by the nape of your neck, it's too late. That's when Paul is saying, you realize, oh my goodness, I cannot believe, <laughs> I cannot believe I allowed myself to be dragged away by whatever this is. And people get, I mean, people get into crazy stuff all the time. I asked our elders and staff uh, Thursday, I emailed them and said, hey, I'm preaching on this text. I'm going to come across this verse. What is a modern day 2021 hollow philosophy or deceptive teaching that our culture believes. Uh, one person said that, um, that scripture is supposed to be progressive. Uh, trajectory theology is what theologians call that. And by, by that, I mean, um, if there is a, uh, so let's just talk about America because that's the country we live in. If there is a policy that's made for how humans should behave or not behave, it's this idea of like, oh yeah, okay. So the Bible needs to catch up to culture. Does that make sense? And so um, the Bible is such an old, outdated, I mean, half the people that wrote it couldn't even read or write. It's so outdated. It needs to catch up with human culture. 
And another person on our staff elder team, which I thought was really insightful, uh, definitely for you parents and students, is one of the deceptive teachings uh, in our culture today is our hookup culture, right? Where through, and, and I'm not against online dating or downloading Tinder. Like I get, like I have a bunch of friends that met and married uh, through uh, dating apps. It's fine. What it is creating is the inability to develop healthy relationships. What it is creating is a culture that can't look you in the eye when you have to have a tough conversation with people. It is creating a culture that has the inability to truly lack or to truly have deep, intimate, not, and when I say intimate, I'm not talking about sexual, but intimate relationships with other people. And so this idea behind the hookup culture, and if you're parents of students, you, you, should have know, you should know about this. If you don't, let's talk this week. Um, and it creates this idea that sex is just a physical thing. I'm just going to hook up with someone the same way that I would schedule an appointment for my dentist or my doctor, and it's totally devoid of the spiritual and emotional realm. This is part of what our culture is about today. And I would even argue, like, yeah, sure, that happens in high school, but it's, it's more of like, man, we're seeing this, well, any age, really. And think about this, church. What were people doing for four months in lockdown? If we really believe the Bible is true, if we really believe Romans is true, that we're pretty wicked, you can hopefully connect the dots. So let's be real about what's actually going on in life. And so let me, let me run this deceptive teaching uh, through a few questions that I want you to be asking yourself and or asking your students when they say, hey, mom or dad, is this a good idea? And then when you spit out your food, you can ask them these questions. Here are some discerning questions to, to talk about when a new idea comes across your table. Is this a hollow or full teaching? So hookup culture, right? Hit it and quit it. Sex is just physical. It's not spiritual. So is that a hollow teaching or is that pregnant with meaning and beauty in life? And by hollow, I mean a chocolate bunny at Easter. It looks good on the outside. You crack that sucker open, nothing's there, right? Looks good on the outside, but it doesn't give you full life. Here's the second question. Is this genuine or is this deceptive, right? So is the hookup culture the real way you develop intimacy? And people honestly probably like, I'm not interested in intimacy. Well, the answer is no then. Is this, is this teaching genuine or deceptive? Does this depend, here's the next question, on human tradition or what God has revealed? In other words, if God is cool with the hookup culture, what, he is, what I would argue what God is saying is that from the creation of the world, when Jesus created humanity and this beautiful gift of human sexuality, uh, he intended from Genesis chapter 1 for us all the way in 2021 to realize, oh yeah, when God created sex, it was meant to be in this, the context of a hookup culture. Does this make sense? Does this make sense? If we're willing to say that God's cool with this, then what we have to say, if we're going to be honest, that this was the intent of how human sexuality should have been expressed from Genesis chapter 1. Well, the answer is not that's not true. Uh, here's the last question. Does this take its cue from creation or the creator of everything? Right? So if I'm in a hookup culture, parents, am I just worshiping my sex drive and the other person that I'm trying to be with? Uh, or is this about the creator of this beautiful gift of human sexuality? 
So many times when we get in trouble and we get lost and depressed and we have, we're void of meaning is that we mistake created things as a creator. And so God created this beautiful gift of human sexuality, right? And when we experience it outside the context of marriage, it begins to break us and tear us down, and we find ourselves being held by a lion by the nape of our neck, already deceived, already held captive. Now, I'm a big proponent of grace, okay? So I don't think God's done with anybody uh, if that is your story. But Paul does warn us, don't, oh man, (laughs) I gotta watch what I say. I'm being recorded. Don't take, don't take a thought uh, that culture gives you Because everybody else is into it, or everybody likes it, or everyone's sharing the same stinking article on Facebook, right? Paul is saying, be thoughtful, be intellectual, be intelligent. Is this a full teaching or deceptive teaching, genuine or deceptive? Does it rely on human tradition or what God's revealed? Does it take its cue from creation or the creator of everything? Be careful, church, what you believe and how you behave based on what you believe because you could find yourself being held by the enemy and it could be too late. Paul continues uh, in Colossians 2 verse 9. Now he's going to talk about the theology of um, being built up in Christ. Paul typically starts with theology and then goes, here's how to apply it to your life. This is the reversal. Here's the theology part. For in Christ, all of the fullness, the pleroma, whatever it means to be God, is in the person of Jesus. For in Christ, that same word in Colossians chapter 1, lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to what? Fullness completion, something being finished. Does this make sense? Something that is not inadequate, something that doesn't need to go flirt with lovers less wild than Jesus. Uh, He is the head of every power and authority. In him, you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised you from the dead. What Paul is saying, church, in a nutshell, is that your salvation is enough to grow you and mature you and to help you go deeper into the gospel. You will be that tree in Psalm chapter 1, but what we want in our culture today is to plant a tree and go back an hour later, take a photo of the tree in our backyard and put it on Instagram and see, see how much this tree has grown. If you plant a tree, give it an hour, take a photo, it, it, it's not going to grow because maturity takes time. Takes experiences. You're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to experience good days. You're going to have to navigate in light of a Jesus follower. How do I? How do I trust God in this good thing and/or in this bad thing? Paul tells us in light of our salvation. Number one, we are saved completely. Right? Paul talks about this ancient Jewish Old Testament act of circumcision, this covenant expression that says when you are circumcised, you are identifying with the people of God. It's the last act uh, or covenantal act in the Old Testament. The first and only covenantal act in the New Testament is baptism. That's why Paul is saying, hey, when you are circumcised uh, or when you are baptized, there's a cutting away of the entire sinful nature. You are saved completely. 
You don't need to go to another God or another religion. John 6, 63, Jesus says, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. It's the Holy Spirit in your salvation that gives you life, not this physical act of circumcision. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and of life. Church, everything we need has already been given to us for fullness uh, in Christ. Not only are we saved completely, we are also saved thoroughly from head to toe. We are saved thoroughly. What Paul is saying in this text is that because our old self has been stripped away, we have been saved completely down to the very core of our being. Because circumcision is about removing a piece of the body. And so when when Paul uses language of being circumcised and and in baptism, we are being saved thoroughly to the core of our body. There is nothing else that you need to do. There's nothing that that you can learn from another religion that's going to give you fullness in Christ. Because there's only one God. And Jesus thought, yeah, that's me. And if he's telling the truth, you're wasting your time following other ideas. Not only are we saved completely, thoroughly, we are saved definitively. Colossians 2, 13 through 15, I'll close with this. This is what Paul says. When you were dead in your sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Salvation, the gospel, grace, it's all of the working of God. If you have a religious leader that says, if you want to be saved or go to heaven, you have to do these things, run, because it's not true. He forgave us all of our sin, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing, wow, I need more coffee, over them by the cross. Why do you care about this? Here's why. Paul is using military language. When a nation dominates another nation, they bring the captives into that city uh, so that the people of that city, uh, that one, can cheer. It's a visual of we're better than you. We're stronger than you. Uh, We have just dominated you. Now you're going to work for us like for pennies on the dollar. Man, it kind of stinks to be you. What Paul is saying is this. That when Jesus goes to the cross and pays your debt, not only for your sin, here's something we don't talk about in the church, but your goodness. Every time you try to be good and be a good person in opposition of following Jesus, you're just working on your morality. It costs Jesus' life. We all, we all know that we don't need to be reminded of our sin, right? Um. But we need to be reminded that even in our good days, our goodness is still offensive to our Heavenly Father if what we're doing is trying to be a good moral person and not a follower of Jesus. And so when Jesus goes on the cross and disarms, Paul's language here, the enemy, what he's saying is every sin that you've committed or every terrible act, right? We've got people that have been abused in our church. People have suffered horrific things. Everything that's happened to you, I'm laying it in front of you to saying, I have authority over this thing. It is finished. Everything, church, everything that we need has already been given to us for a full life in Christ. Be rooted in the gospel every single day. Don't tell me at the end of the year you've not read one book of the Bible. 
Don't tell me at the end of the year, you've not invited one friend. Now I'm going to go for the jugular. Don't tell me at the end of the year, you've not led someone to Christ and baptized them or watched somebody baptize them as well. Paul says our faith is an ongoing, continual action. The fullness that God is, that Jesus is, it's already been given to us because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We have everything that we already need. It's already been given to us for a pleroma, a fullness, a full life in Christ. Not a hollow life, not a deceptive life, not a life that, tr- that depends on human tradition or a created thing, a life given to us by God himself, Jesus in the flesh. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, this uh, wonderful reminder that you are, you are not giving up on us. And yet, I mean, you do have a, a, a standard and expectation, which is um, that, that our faith journey should be an ongoing, continual action. We, we say here to God at, at RCC that, that every journey begins with a single step. Um, and so I understand that this, this, this kind of sermon could be overwhelming. It could, it, it could give us like a guilt trip, like, wow, I'm not where I, I want to be. Um, that's not the heart of this. That's not the purpose of this. It is the pur- purpose of this is to wake us up and to say, man, I have everything I need in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I am a strong, stinking oak tree. I am a strong tower. I am so thankful for what the gospel has done to me. I want to be the kind of person that provides shade and protection. I've been, I've been saved thoroughly. I've been saved completely, and I've been saved definitively by the, by the bloody cross and the empty tomb. I don't need to worship Mormonism. I don't need to listen to some spiritual guru on an Apple podcast. I don't need a sprinkle of Roman paganism or Eastern mysticism. All I need is Jesus. Jesus plus nothing else. God, I pray for the hearts of our church, those that are here in person and online, that if someone is not saved, someone has not received Christ or expressed that publicly in baptism, that they would have the courage to reach out to us or stop by the hub after this service so that they can begin digging good roots, building a strong life, and living with a glad and thankful heart. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.